Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have two key scriptures this morning. The first one is from Psalm 145, and the second is from Zephaniah chapter 3. So first from Psalm 145, verses 4 through 7. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And then from Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. My mom loves old movies. Uh, she has loved old movies. Well, she's old, so I guess for, for quite a while, since the movies came out in some cases. Uh, and so consequently, as a kid, I grew up watching all kinds of old movies. Uh, and in particular, my mom liked musicals. Um, Scene in the Rain, Holiday Inn, White Christmas, The Sound of Music, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Music Man, An American in Paris, Easter Parade, Meet Me in St. Louis. I could go on and on. I have seen them all, and I know a lot of the songs. So I think you get the idea. <coughs> musicals are peculiar things. Uh, something very strange happens in them because within a musical, people will be talking and having a perfectly normal conversation. Uh, by all accounts, they seem like ordinary, sane people. <laughs> but then it happens. Um, there is something that cannot simply be said. It needs to be sung. So they start singing a song to move the plot forward. Now, that would be strange enough in and of itself, but no one around them thinks it's strange that they're singing. Uh, and then the dancing starts. <laughs> My goodness, the dancing. Dancing that complete strangers on the street join in and seem to know every next movement and step. And eventually the song ends, the dancing stops, and everyone acts like nothing just happened. That it was completely normal to break out into song and dance in the middle of the street. And I have to tell you, upon reflection of this, I am grateful that that is not the world we live in. <laughs> I don't want to sing my feelings or thoughts. And the good Lord knows it's just in everyone's best interest if I don't start to dance. <laughs> Public safety in general needs to be taken into account. 
I don't need to progress my story in that way. And this is not the way the world works. However, the Bible does envision a world in which those who belong to God celebrate him for all that he is and all that he has done. Where each generation tells the next the story of God's goodness and love, they commend, they tell, they proclaim, they celebrate, and they joyfully sing. They joyfully sing. But in an even more shocking twist, God in his love rejoices over us with singing and dancing. That's what it looks like when I dance. Listen, are you ready for this? God breaks out into spontaneous joy and love-filled singing over you. These thoughts make me realize that perhaps there is room in my life for spontaneous expressions of wonder, awe, and worship for our God. And it occurs to me that I just might need to look for more opportunities to break into song. So we have, uh, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. I, I, I don't know if you already had uh, the fruits of the Spirit memorized. Hopefully, maybe by the time this is all over, you will, if you don't yet. Uh, but this has been uh, the passage that we have been working from for the past several weeks. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, so there's lots of things that we've talked about over the past several weeks, and the, the first kind of founding principle of this study has been that uh, all of these different fruits, these characteristics, they are not the fruit of ourselves. They are the fruit of the Spirit, which means that the Spirit is going to produce these things in our lives. So it's, it's not a matter of uh, me putting necessarily a ton of effort or energy into, into it, because if I just do my best, I am actually going to fail. <laughs> if I just do my best, I'm actually going to fail at producing these fruit, these fruits in my life. Um, as the children of God, God gives us his spirit to live inside of us and to change us from the inside into the kind of people that he wants us to be. And so again, when we look at this passage and we see all of these different things, we have to remember that God isn't telling us to just be a loving person or to be a kind person or to be a good person, but that all of these things are to work together to create something beautiful that God wants to do inside of us. Therefore, no one fruit is more important than another. Uh, 
No one attribute is, is greater than another. These weave in and out of each other, creating one image. They are, they are distinct, but they are also uh, totally interdependent building on each other. And we've seen that really over the past several weeks. The first fruit that we looked at was... Love, good, thank you. Uh, the first fruit that we looked at was love, okay? And um, remember, you know, when we talk about that these are things that God produces in us, that God's love is different than our love. And so the fruit of the Spirit of love that the Holy Spirit produces in us is going to look different than the kind of love that we normally have as people, and so we talked about how uh, that was sort of the basis and how that applies to all our different relationships and circumstances and things. And then last week we talked about, uh, who remembers what we talked about last week? Goodness and kindness, right? And so, uh, you know, we talked about how love may be this, this important value that is sort of, at least in our minds, probably the basis for a lot of different things. But that kindness remember, is an expression of God's love. If, uh, if love is the body, then kindness are the hands uh, that reach out and express the love of God to those around us. We are empowered to be kind, and we are kind because God has been so kind to us. And we are moved uh, with compassion for those around us, caring for others and wanting what's best for them. And, and then remember, we talked about how goodness is not just like, oh, you're so good, you know, or just be good. Uh, but rather that goodness is tied to one very important idea when it comes to God. Do you remember what it is? Generosity. I love having Michelle sitting in the front. Yeah, generosity, that God has been really generous to us and therefore we are generous to others. Uh, so today uh, we want to look at two other fruits and we want to look at, uh, at why they are important and what they mean and then how they tie into all of these things together. So today we are going to look at the fruits of joy and peace. Now, are joy and peace two ideas that you would normally tie together? Well, on first thought, for me at least, no. Uh, and it's for this reason. Joy sounds hyper, and peace sounds like the opposite of that. And so I wouldn't necessarily tie joy and peace together, and yet, as we will see this morning, Joy and peace are very much interwoven with one another. Now, I have a question that I just want you to talk about with each other for a moment uh, as, we, as we sort of launch into this, okay? Um, and I want you to think about this. Does the world, those around us who maybe are Christian or not Christian, but does the world around us, do they understand or see our God as being a joyful God. Talk about that for a moment. Do they see our God as being a joyful God? Yeah. 
Okay. Does, does the world around us know our God as being a joyful God? Yes or no? No. Does anyone say yes? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, so, well, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Why does, why does the world around us not consider our God to be a joyful God? Why do you think that is? What's that? They look at God as controlling. Okay, yeah, I agree. I can see that. Judge that God judges others and, okay. Restrictions on our behavior. Yeah, he's got a lot of laws and rules and stuff. What's that? A cosmic killjoy. Right, that's, those are the dot, dot, dots after his name on his business card, right? Absolutely. We're not joyful. Okay, this is, this is a tough one, but I want us to stew on this for a little bit. If the world around us doesn't know that our God is a joyful God, it's because we haven't told them that. And we certainly haven't shown that to them. Like, that's, that's why they wouldn't. And, and we can actually, I mean, we can apply that to a lot of different things, right? If the world around us doesn't know that God is a loving God, it's because we haven't displayed the love of God to other people. And so they're not seeing it in us or they're not hearing it. And so therefore, they don't know that God is that thing. If the world around us believes that God is controlling and judgmental and all these other things, where do they get that message? They get that from us. They get that from us. So the world, I, I, I don't know that they would ever describe God as being joyful. A joy-filled God. Um, and yet, our God is a God of great joy who, and this is the weird part about it, okay? God especially takes great joy and delight in us. Now, that's not so hard to believe for me because I am delightful. But some of you, I'm not so sure. Don Roberts. He made eye contact with me. That was the problem. That was the problem. Just don't, just don't. Look away. Look away, everyone. We read this passage this morning, and it is such an amazing passage that speaks of this from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And understand, thinking about what we just talked about, about the world not seeing God as being joyful, listen to these words. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And here's what's beautiful about this passage. The people of God, how did they see God? What's an inference we can make from this passage? Did they understand that God was joyful? Not necessarily, in fact, it seems like maybe they were going through a period of what? Fear, judgment, and the word that is brought up there is rebuke. He will no longer rebuke you. 
but will rejoice over you with singing. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is just kind of the way my brain works. Uh, Sometimes I find myself in worship on Sunday morning and we're all, you know, we're standing around and we're singing these songs to God. And sometimes as we're standing around and singing these songs to God, I think to myself, this is so weird. I do. I do. Like, we're all standing in a room singing these songs to God. And, and we do that. We, we sing these songs to God. We to worship him and to talk about how wonderful and powerful he is. And I think that sometimes, you know, I I can only imagine when people outside of the community of faith think about a bunch of people standing in a room singing songs together as if we are stuck in a musical. (laughs) But there is something, there is something that is described here that I just found so wonderful. And that is, that God takes delight in us and rejoices over us. That he sings as loud as he can, which I would imagine God can sing pretty loud. Throughout all the heavens, over you and over me. Our God is a joy-filled God. And he certainly is proud of us when we do the right thing, But that is not actually what brings God the most joy. So when God is filled with joy over us, it's not because of how incredible we are. Do you know what fills God with the most joy? It's one word that I would offer. You could use several, but I would argue that it's this word. The thing that fills God with the most joy is restoration. Is restoration. And we don't actually have to guess about this because Jesus told some stories about this. Now, this story is Looney Tunes. It really kind of is. But Jesus told this story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this is a weird story. And we've talked about this before. It's weird because this woman's reaction is completely disproportionate to the value of what it was that she lost. No matter what value it really kind of is that we can put on this one coin, one coin, there's a, I think it's referred to that for this reason, this one coin, what does the woman do? She throws a party to celebrate with her friends over her finding the one lost coin. I mean, I could call you and tell you, I found my keys. (laughs) Come over for dinner. (laughs) 
And you'd be like, all right. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't act this way about something that is so small and insignificant. But this story is not about us. The story is about God. And here's something that I had never noticed before. When we read this story and we talk about the reaction, I have always read these words as saying that the angels in heaven rejoice. And I have always read this this way, but that's actually not what it says. Look at what it says. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, which means who is rejoicing? God is. Not that the angels are or aren't, but the passage doesn't say that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Instead, there is rejoicing in their presence. And whose presence are they in? God's. God finds great, great joy in recovering what he has lost. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that one of the things he wants us to have is his joy. From John 15, verses 9 through 11, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my, man, my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, so where is Jesus' joy found? It's found in the love of his Father and passing that love on to his, fo- to his followers. And then, doing the will of his father. But before we think that this means like doing things right and following all these rules, we have to ask this question because who's talking? Jesus is talking. So when Jesus says that he wants to do the will of his father, is he talking about following all the rules? What is the will of the father in Jesus's life? To glorify God in all things, yes, but what else? What, it, what was Jesus here to do? To bring salvation, to redeem, and to restore. So let's read this that way. As the Father of, has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The will of the Father is that Jesus make it possible for all that has been lost to be recovered. That God wants us back and Jesus makes it possible. And this is where joy comes from. Joy comes from this restoration. And this, I think, church, is what the Spirit wants to produce in us. So what does that look like? How do we have joy? I think the first thing that we have to do in order to have joy, and I do recognize the irony of me speaking to you about joy, um, Because remember, if those of you who were here during Advent, I have what kind of joy? Unspeakable joy. (laughs) So I can't talk to you about it. My joy. But 
Um, I think the first thing we have to do for a second is deconstruct joy. Remember, I told you earlier, to me, when I hear the word joy, it kind of has this hyper feeling to it. So when I imagine a joyful person, I'm imagining someone who is smiling like an idiot and maybe walking around singing songs or just being overly happy and optimistic. Um, unlike me. So that's not really, I think, the idea that the Spirit wants to produce in us. That's not the kind of joy. That's a caricature of joy. So then what is it that the Spirit wants to produce in us? Well, I think the key to this, for me at least, is that I have to remember that I, I am the lost coin that was found. I am the lost coin that was found. There is always joy for us in knowing that God tore the whole house apart to find us. That God did everything within his power to restore us to him. That God overcame every obstacle in our way so that we could have relationship with him. And just as God rejoices over our restoration, that is what brings us joy as well. That we have been restored to God. That God would even care. <laughs> that God would even care to rejoice over us. We rejoice because of our redemption. We, we rejoice because God loves us so much that he gave up everything for us. We rejoice because our faults are not held against us. We rejoice because of Jesus. We rejoice because of the life that we have. We rejoice. Which makes me realize that joy, real, outward, tangible joy, is essential to me living the life that God wants me to live. Because if I understand the situation at all, I will have joy in my heart. And then when I speak of my life and I speak of God, joy will come through. Joy will come through. And it may not look like it does in a musical. <laughs> It'll look better. It'll look better. William Barclay writes, There is no virtue in the Christian life which is not made radiant with joy. There is no circumstance and no occasion which is not illuminated with joy. The joyless life is not a Christian life, for joy is the one constant in the recipe of Christian living. Joy is the salt that seasons the life that we live. And shame on us when people don't know that we have a God who is full of joy. Now, this is hard for me to remember, especially when things around me go wrong or I feel stress. 
when I'm feeling depressed and I'm feeling down, when I'm having particularly bad days, the idea of being joyful is not something that leaps to my mind. And it might be the most unnatural of emotions for me. And I think it's because, again, I, I don't know always how to express it. I don't know how necessarily to make it be obvious in my life. But then I think, but then I think, well, am I just, is a part of me forgetting in those moments where I feel so stressed and alone, when I feel so strung out and tired? Am I forgetting all that God has done for me? When in those moments where I feel like I just don't have very much value or worth, am I forgetting that God tore the house apart to find me? And when I'm searching for meaning or purpose or importance in every corner of my house, And seemingly coming up empty. Am I forgetting that while I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me? From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Paul's charge uh, to these, or Peter's charge to these people who were going through hard times was to remember that they were saved through the grace and love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. But more than that, they were called to remember that as hard as this life might be, guess what? This life is going to end. And when this life is over, you have cause to rejoice. Because the end of this life is not the end of you. For those who are in Christ Jesus, it is a homecoming when this life is over. And that's hard to remember, isn't it? And don't get me wrong, because I will, I will fight you over this. Just thinking about Jesus is not the answer to your depression. 
And those of you who have talked to me about this at any time know that I don't think that. But there is something powerful. There is something great in remembering how much God loves us. And I know that there are times where we can't hear that voice or we can't find that voice as much as we want. I know that there are times where God feels distant from us and where we can't really find answers or we struggle with how we feel. But the gospel message is so clear that God does love us. That God searches the entire house for us, that God rejoices over us when we're found. And the thing that will bring us lasting joy is remembering how much we are loved by God. Amen? Amen. Which leads us to the second fruit that we want to talk about today, and that is peace. Uh, We have this concept, we know that we are called to be a people of peace, but what exactly is a God-formed, spirit-led peace? And there are lots of ideas about what peace actually means. Uh, We have this idea that uh, peace is simply not having any sort of outward conflict uh, with others. Um. And Jesus seems to maybe even support this when he tells us, you know, it's not enough to say that we didn't kill someone, but we shouldn't be angry with others. Um, In ancient Greek teaching, though, they they believed that peace could not be obtained by all of your needs being met. Instead, peace could only be found through the elimination of all of your desires. So therefore, you couldn't ever really find peace by getting everything you wanted. You could only find peace by eliminating your desire to have everything else. Thus, one could really only find peace through detachment, self-isolation, and insulation against life. So is that what God had in mind? That we separate ourselves from everything, and that's how we have peace. I feel like there has to be more to it than that. So the peace that the Spirit is growing in us, let's get back to the basis. Who does it come from? It comes from the Spirit, and it comes from God, which means it's going to be a peace that's different than the peace that I can produce in myself. So this idea that it's about me controlling my environment or controlling my desires is not totally accurate, right? because this really may not be about me controlling things at all. It's, it's something that's coming up here from God. And God is called a God of peace several times. From Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So it makes sense then that peace would be one of the fruit that the Spirit 
produces in our life because the God of peace will be with us. But what does God's peace look like? Uh, in Hebrew teaching, uh, peace is not an elimination of fighting or an elimination of wants. Peace was instead a very central idea that could only be found through God, and it involved the idea of balance. Um, so, peace could only be found through, uh, uh, it, it's, it's everything which makes for a person's like highest good. So, they would often greet each other with the wish for peace. I mean, you'll even hear people today, like, I had a friend that just went to Israel, and, and all of a sudden, shalom is like, is everywhere, right? It's on all, it's on all their stuff. But this, this greeting does not simply express the negative wish that your life may be free from trouble. It expresses the positive hope and prayer that uh, you may enjoy all good gifts and blessings from the hands of God. And uh, it's kind of like this. Wayne, would you be willing to help me for a second? Thank you. I, I, Wayne is always the person I can call on without asking ahead of time, you know? So, Wayne, um, I'm going to do you a real solid here, okay. something that you've wanted for a, a, long, a lot of your life, I know. I'm going to make you the tallest person in the room. Oh. I know, it's true. Yes. So, you, you comfortable standing on this chair? I am. Okay, so stand up. <laughs> we can only hope, Wayne. We can only hope. Okay, so <clears throat> there he is. Look at that. Um, so let's so let's look at it this way. Peace, as as we're talking about it here, is our ability to stand comfortably on this chair. Um, when we have balance in all parts of our life, right? That is not hard to do. But we have a lot of parts of our life, don't we? Do you have a Do you have a friend in this room? A friend in this room? Do you have a friend? Is Justin I, I your friend? Justin's a very good okay, Justin, come up here for a second. So we have friends and relationships in our lives. And Justin, if you will just kind of pull on Wayne this, this direction. Okay, so it becomes a little bit harder to balance when you're doing that. Cheryl, would you come up for just a moment? Um, you've got your family. <laughs> you've got your family. So if you would just like to pull uh, this direction on, on Wayne. Uh, as, as Wayne mentioned this morning, he's also an elder. Uh, Mike, would you come up for a second? Mike's an elder, too. So you've got responsibilities here. Um, if you, if you want to just, you know, grab, grab, maybe pull another direction there on him. Um, so is that going on? What, what else do you have in your life? Well, uh, I have uh, martial arts. Uh, you have martial arts? Yeah. Where's Owen? We need Owen in here. Yeah. We, we, we need... Jim's a cry. Jim, you want to come? Want to come pull on Wayne? <laughs> and uh, you, you, you do work, right? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. Wayne, uh, Jim, you can come behind. You're almost as tall as Wayne still. Uh, if you'll pull on him this direction, right? So, look, what happens in our lives, right? So the purpose, if we have peace, we're to stand on the chair. But we have all of these things, and what do all these things do? They pull on us, and they might pull more at different times, right? So maybe 
The family is pulling him more this direction. So he has to struggle back against that to try to keep everything else in balance, right? Right? And then, so if, if he's having to struggle against this to keep everything else in balance, what is really not happening? He's just trying to stay on the chair, right? And there's not really true balance. You guys can all head back to your seats. Thank you for, for helping out there. Thank you, Wayne. <clears throat> so, balance in all parts of life. Not letting anything fall out, not being pulled too far in any one direction, keeping relationships healthy and strong. This is the kind of peace that God calls us to. And now you're thinking, well, Bryce, you just made peace way more complicated. <laughs> right? You made peace, like, I thought peace was going to be an easy one. Um... So how do we do this? How can we keep balance when so many things are pulling on us? And let's just be honest about it, when so many of those things are outside of our control. You know, we can't always control what's going on with our friends and our family or our work or whatever else. So as much as we may try, what do we do about things that we can't that we can't really do anything about. Well, this is where we have to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of you. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, if we are going to find balance and find peace, whose lead must we follow? We must follow the lead of the Spirit in our lives. This peace is from God, which means that if we are going to experience it, then we need to let go of the death grip that we have on control. If, if we are going to experience this peace, who needs to be in control? God needs to be in control and that makes me feel nervous and not peaceful but then again if I can let God be in control and be God and I follow him and I find him faithful every time what am I going to discover that nothing is ever out of God's control that nothing is beyond his ability to bring back or to make something new out of, that God is working and shaping and moving in all things. So just like we can find joy even when things are difficult, we can find peace in God even in the most chaotic times because things might be out of our control, but they are never out of God's control. And it occurs to me, though, that of all the things we've talked about so far, that I can't accidentally find this. You know what I'm saying? I can't just dumb into peace. I really like it when I can just dumb into things. Um, but I can't just dumb into this because, well, as Paul said, way back at the beginning of the sermon... 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And just as I need to follow the Spirit in order to love like God loves, I have to give up my control and follow the Spirit and let it lead if I'm going to find peace in God. From 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10-11, through 11, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The word for to seek here means to make peace the object of all our endeavors. The word for to pursue means to hunt down as a hunter might hunt for something. And if peace means finding balance in my life and finding this through God, then I have to pursue, this is it's hard, I actively have to pursue giving up control of my life to him. And I have to stop trying to take the lead of my life and let God do that. How many of you have ever argued with your GPS on your phone? Yeah. We have asked this device to tell us where to go. And now we have real-time traffic information where the cops are, where there's a pothole in the road. And we plug it in, and it tells us where to go, and we think, this stupid thing. Why is it telling me to go that way? You asked it. <laughs> Which direction to go? It told you. It answered your question. So are you going to follow it or not? And aren't we that way with God? God, what we sh should we do? God, help me with this. God, what way should I go? God, you don't mean that. we got to follow the lead of the Spirit. And when we follow the lead of the Spirit, God will produce these things in our lives, not the fruits of us, but the fruit of the Spirit. And I would love for God to produce these fruits in us. The joy of our salvation. That we would sing back to the God who sings over us. And the peace that comes, I mean, as Paul wrote, it's the peace that passes understanding, right? Which means you don't know the answer, but you still feel peaceful. You don't understand what's going on, but you know that God does. I want that for myself and for you. We must never forget who we are and who God is then. 
We never forget that we were the lost coin and that God is the God who tore the house apart. We must never forget that the God who tore the house apart over our disappearance will seek after us again and again and will keep us if we will follow his lead. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I want us to be people of love, of kindness, of goodness, of joy, and of peace. And God, we know what these things have looked like for us when we've tried to have them and tried to do them. But God, as we looked at these things this morning, it is so evident to me that I can't make myself joyful. I need a root, a fountain for my joy. I need it to come from somewhere. And God, I'm grateful that you have promised me the greatest source of joy by loving me and giving me life and forgiveness and grace and mercy. God, I, I know that I hold on so tight that the peace I try to produce is not the peace that I need. Thank you, God, that by following your spirit and your lead, we find balance. We find hope. We find perspective. But we have to follow you to find it. So help us again, Father, to stay in step with the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, and that every step we take, Father, produces more fruit for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have any need for prayer or encouragement this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.